So this morning we're going to be uh, in a couple of different places in Scripture. Um, we're going to be talking today. So we're, we're, we wrapped up last week <clears throat> another major section in the study that we've been doing. So we're going into the fourth major section. Um, this is kind of a this lesson is kind of a bridge lesson between the doctrine of man, which is what we're coming out of, and the doctrine of the person and work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, which is where we're going into. Uh, this is, this lesson is kind of kind of a bridge between those two. Um, kind of the official title would be the covenants between God and man. <coughs> Um, but specifically, we're going to be looking in the New Covenant um, and reflecting on things kind of along the way, um, depending on how much time we have this morning, uh, looking at the differences between um, the covenant of the law or the Mosaic Covenant and the covenant of grace. Um, I, I want to say beforehand, um, before we get started into this, and, and Scripture is clear on this, that the covenant of faith predates the covenant of the law. Um, we find God making promises to Abraham and Abraham believing and being counted righteous in faith uh, long before the law was given. Um, and we find um, some explanations of this throughout Scripture. We may or may not touch on that this morning, but um, God's intention has always been through faith in Him and in His works. Uh, so we're going to kind of we're going to kind of look at that as as we explore God's covenant uh, with man, specifically the covenant of grace. So I want to do I want to do this. We're going to be spending most of our time this morning in Hebrews chapter eight and and onward. Um, but I want us to look at a couple of key things that we that we should consider when we're considering this covenant that God's made with us. We're going to kind of do these first couple. We're going to try to do it. Uh, a little bit rapid fire because we're going to be reading a lot in Hebrews as we explore this covenant a little bit more. So uh, when we think about this covenant, I'm going to go ahead and list out a couple of things that we that we see um, in Scripture when we're thinking about what does this covenant mean? What is a covenant in general? Um, <clears throat> can anybody tell me what a covenant is? Does anybody want to venture a guess? What? A, so a deal. What? What else? What's like this? Like, give me some like some details. A promise. A promise. Okay, a promise between two parties. Two parties. Um, how does a how does a covenant how does a covenant um, differ from a contract? Covenant is just like your word. I don't think contract. You don't have to so when you when we do it when we do a contract, what what tends to happen? We negotiate contracts. Right, like we we negotiate both parties negotiate a deal, right, um, and then that's kind of worked out in that. A covenant differs from that. A covenant, this covenant specifically that we're looking at, covenants between God and man are non-negotiable covenants. These are covenants that God puts forward all of the specifications for, and we hold to, right. So um, this is pretty important when we consider coming out of kind of the doctrine of man and the, the fallen state of, of humanity, right? Like, we never would have sought to make a deal with God. We would have sought to go in another direction. So um, it's pretty important that we, that we consider um, when we think about what God has done, God chose to deal with us, right? 
We would have we would have gone and sought after our own ways, but it was God's decision to step in uh, and to make the uh, and and to to make us His His people. So Jeremiah chapter we're going to start Jeremiah chapter thirty one, uh, verse thirty three. Uh, so go ahead and flip to Jeremiah. Jeremiah thirty one thirty three. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, Old Testament, as we're looking forward here, kind of kind of reaching out for what this covenant that God's promising. We see some of the details of this covenant uh, laid out here. This is a covenant put forward by God, and God makes a couple of promises. He makes the promise that He will put His law in His covenant people. He will write it on their hearts. And then ultimately, um, whenever we look at this, this is this is the place that I want us to, to really consider what's what's been done in this. When God has put forward this covenant, the ultimate end of this covenant um, is that God will be ours and we will be His. Right? So, so as we're thinking about what God is doing, the ultimate end of this is that, is that this covenant is meant to bring us into relationship with our Creator, um, and He is ours and we are His. So, a couple of things when we consider this. This is a covenant of faith for works, lest we lie to ourselves. Um, and then the ultimate end is to be with God and to be His people. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we're going to look at kind of that faith aspect just for a moment here. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul speaking of this gospel that speaks of the good news of this new covenant. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right? But faith, faith is dead without works, right? Like scripture, scripture speaks to this. What does that mean? It does not mean that we work to to improve our faith, but that true faith is followed necessarily by works. We're saved for good works. Ephesians chapter two. Let's let's look at this here. So flip with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. And again, this is just kind of to get us in the context of where we're gonna we're gonna kind of be digging in today. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and what does it say there? For good works. So it's by faith alone, but faith is never alone. That's kind of the the phrase that you'll hear us use quite a bit. Faith is never alone. Faith, we're created in Christ for good works. 
right? So one of the one of the indicators that you are a believer is that the Holy Spirit works in you and that pours out into those around you, right? So for we are his workmanship, it is him ultimately doing the work here, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's this covenant is by faith, it is for works and if we think that um, we can get away with with claiming to believe and then nothing, no fruit being born in our lives, um, then we may actually be lying to ourselves here. Let's flip to John, First John, excuse me, chapter two, <clears throat> verse four. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? So this covenant, it's not just you, like, and, and this is like, I think we need to be careful about this, that, that, that we, we kind of live in a, in a way sometimes that, that, that we think, I can just say that I believe, but yet I can go about my business, right? Like I can claim to know God, but live nothing like Christ. And I think when we consider the covenant that He's made with us, that's not the promise that He made, right? He will be our God, we will be His people, He will place His law on our hearts, Right? As we kind of started off there in Jeremiah chapter 31, 33, and hopefully we'll kind of come full circle with this as we dig into this more in Hebrews. But this, we believe, yes, and we are made righteous before God through faith. But that faith, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit works out in that good works. We're called to Christ. We're made in Christ to uh, live out good works. And we ought to walk in the same way in which He walks, right? This is this is what we see here in 1 John chapter 2. Um, so, if you find yourself claiming belief and yet you walk in no way and you have no desire to walk in the ways of Christ, then be careful. You might be lying to yourself. Your faith may not be faith, Right? Because faith will, by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, produce good fruit. Um, So you should be able to examine yourselves, look at your own lives, and see the work of the Holy Spirit in you, because this is a promise made by God, right? So the law could not save us, right? Because the law could not produce change in us. This is throughout the New Testament, part of the gospel, as we're examining the, the covenant of Moses. Like one of the weaknesses, one of the, the shortcomings of the law is the law could only point out how we fail God. The law could not change us. This writing the law on our heart is a work of God to change us. Right? So this is where like you can know to do good and not be able to do it, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to do good. Right? This is why you can examine your lives to know if you're in the faith. Right? You can look to see, is God working in me? Because you would not have chased after Him. You would not have followed His ways. You would not have sought after righteousness. But the Holy Spirit works this in us to continue to walk 
as we ought to walk, which is the way that Christ walked. So let's flip now to Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to be spending a little bit of time uh, in this text. Uh, We're going to be reading quite a bit. So um, to give a little bit of context as to where we find ourselves in the book of Hebrews here, as we're kind of diving in, is uh, the writer of Hebrews is explaining throughout the book that Christ is the greater and then substitute all the different things uh, that he compares him to. And now he's the greater high priest where we find ourselves in chapter 8. And he's demonstrating how he is a greater high priest than the high priest that came before and how he mediates over a better covenant, right? Um, so that's kind of where we find ourselves here. And I want us to dig into this covenant because, so we're going to be getting into in the, in the, in the weeks to come who Christ is, what Christ has done. Like we're going to get, we're going to be diving deep into Christ. Um, we'll probably, it, it would not surprise me if we don't find ourselves coming back to this uh, particular passage several times throughout the the coming weeks. So I want us to kind of dig in a little bit here. There's going to be some of this that we just kind of read on through, and there's going to be some places uh, where we stop and spend a little time. Um, So we're just just going to start in in um, 8.1. It would be... There's... The struggle with with jumping in where we're jumping in is is there's... (laughs) As a teacher here, like I'm trying to not be like... Uh, running over five hours beyond what the class is. Um, so I've got to find a place to drop in <laughs> against what my better nature tells me, which is start from the very beginning of the book and just read. Uh, I know we don't have time for that. Uh, so as we, as we drop in here, be aware that there's context for seven chapters leading up to this, and I would encourage you to go and kind of dig into that. Um, but for the sake of the time that we're given um, here and, and the point that we want to kind of drive home this morning, I'm going to need to drop into chapter 8. Verse 1, and then we're going to just spend as much time uh, as we can here. So, Jesus, the high priest, a greater high priest, and he's, uh, he's the mediator of a greater, better covenant. That's what we're kind of the point that we're trying to get to this morning. So, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we're saying is this, that we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So here, one thing that I want us to get that he's trying to make a point of is the covenant of the law, the Mosaic covenant, was only a shadow. It was only a... It was only a a guardian for us until Christ came to complete that covenant in the works that he would that he would fulfill. So as he's going through this, just pay attention to how many times he he kind of looks back at the covenant um, that we're coming out of, and he's and he's he's kind of he's not downplaying it as though that they weren't important, right? And there's sometimes along along the way um, that that you could almost feel like he's kind of downplaying the old one. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is that the better has now come, for which those things were pointing, right? So that's the that's the point that we're kind of driving home here uh, as we as we read through this. For every high priest, verse three, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. This is speaking of, about Christ, since they 
since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Again, here, notice the, the copy and shadow. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the, uh, according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Now take note, like, if you ever have gone and read through some of the, the, the description of what God was laying out for the people of Israel to do, the, the, it, it feels very much at times that he's going into way too much detail here, right? Like, like there's an, there, there, you can't miss, while reading through these particular places in the Old Testament, the attention to detail that God pays in every single aspect, right? And why is that important? Why was it important that he lists those things out, especially as we read them a lot of times, we're like, I'm going to pass over this because this just seems like, this seems a little bit boring, right? When you read them, when you go back through there and you hit those places like that, one way that, that will help you there is, is to pay attention, knowing what we know now, that these things that you're reading are pointing forward to something else, right? Like these things were not the, the thing, but the details are important because they were pointing forward to the most important of things, right? So this shadow, these these shadows um, that that he that he speaks of here. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, "See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain." Verse six. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates. Is better since it is enacted on better promises. So, this covenant that we find ourselves partakers in as believers is a better covenant than the covenant of Moses because it has better promises. So, let's pay attention to what those promises are as he kind of plays this out in this text. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So, who gave the first covenant? Who, who set the stipulations for the first covenant? God did. So, does it, does, it not, does it not strike you as strange that God set forth the covenant and now God's Holy Spirit speaking to us again in Scripture speaks of that covenant as having fault? Oh my goodness! How the fault was not in the covenant; it was in us, right? Like God could lay out what it looked like to be righteous in that first covenant, but not one could follow that, right? The problem was not in those laws and commandments. The problem was in us, because all that would happen, and if you look in the book of Romans, it essentially says this: is that when the law came, our sin got worse. Because now we saw, now we saw it for what it was, and that rebellion was kind of fueled within us, right? So, so the fault was not in the covenant so much as it was in us because we could not keep that covenant. But the promises of the second covenant are better, right? Like those promises are better because it's God who's doing the work in us. And this is the hope that we have as believers, right? Like when you find yourself struggling and you, and you may say to yourself, well, you know, like I see the Holy Spirit working, but there are some things that I got going on that just seem to be taking a whole lot of time to resolve, right? Like we all got issues like that. Or is it just, is it just me? 
Okay, I didn't think I didn't think so. I was like, well, maybe somebody else should come teach, and I just <laughs> sit down for a second. But we've all got these things that we're that we're struggling with, right? We all have places in our life where it's like, I wish this would hit the fast forward button and speed up so that I could be more like Christ in this area of my life. But the the hope is is that ultimately it will be Him that works this out. This is different from if you had been an old an old covenant following after the the law and finding yourself as Paul where it's like I know what I should do but I don't do it right like that was that was the struggle prior to the working of the Holy Spirit is that there was no hope for the doing those things that we know we should do but now the Holy Spirit is doing the work of writing God's law in our hearts of causing us to come into conformity with Christ to walk in the things that we ought to walk for he finds verse 8 For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And that's we see what the struggle was. We see what the fault was in the old covenant is that they could not continue in it, right? And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I or, and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be, be my people. Right? We read that as we, as we began this study off this morning. So the hope of the promises that are better promises is not that we would look externally to see the laws that we can't follow, but that He would write them on our minds and in our hearts. Who is doing that work? He is doing that work. So who's this, this, this better covenant on who does our hope rest? Our efforts? No. The better covenant, our hope rests in Christ's efforts. Right? In the work of the Spirit in us who believe. And they shall, verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Now, here's, I want to I pump the brakes here for a second. This is not saying that we should not teach. This is not saying that we should not come and do what we're doing today, right? What this, what this, this should cause us to be like deeply convicted if we find ourselves only being taught by others. Why why am I saying that? Because you the, this covenant that you find yourselves in is a covenant where you are his and he is yours. So if you only ever hear about him through me or Dustin or someone else, then you've missed completely what it is that's been given to you. You are His and He is yours. Right? This is what He means when He's, when He's speaking like this. That they shall not teach one His neighbor and the other His brother saying, Know the Lord. Right? For, for they shall all know Me from the last, from the least of them to the greatest. Right? So God wants to know us. This covenant, this new covenant that we find ourselves in, in Christ, is one in which relationship with God is the central focus of it. Right? 
to know Him, to be His, and for Him to be ours. For I will be merciful, merciful, verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, He makes the first one obsolete, what, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now we're going to read through quite a bit in verse 9 just to get to some, some key points. So just kind of hold on with me um, and read through. Um, he's going to be kind of presenting some, some information here that's kind of reflecting on the old and the new. Um, so I just want you to, to be aware that we're going to do quite a bit of reading before we kind of stop and dig in. So verse 9, or verse 1 of chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in, earth, in an earthly place of holiness for a tent was pre- prepared the first section in which the lamp stand and the table and the bread of the penance it's called the holy place behind the second curtain was a second section the, called the most holy place having a golden altar of incense the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was the gold which a, which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant and Above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot um, we cannot now speak in detail. Uh, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but unto the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing which is which is symbolic for the present age according to this arrangement gifts and sacrifices are offered um, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation then when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing eternal redemption. For if by the blood of goats and bulls, and again, he's doing that, he's, he's reflecting on the old way and, and how Christ has now superseded this in his work. Like those shadows and types that were pointing forward now find their completion in the work of Christ Jesus. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance so again those better promises this is an an eternal inheritance that we promise since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant for where a veil is involved, the death of one who made it 
or excuse me, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only after the death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used for worship. Again, all of these things being types pushing forward to, to what would be completed in Christ. Uh, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, most everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered into the holy places, uh, has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So just as the just as in the old covenant, the uh, priest would go once a year into the holy of holies to represent the people before God. Now we find this better high priest who mediates a better servant going into the holy places. Not a holy place here we see. And this whole thing is like, it's like this is not a place made by hands. Like the work of Christ is not something like those things could never fully realize what Christ was doing, right? Like He has made, he has made a way for us into this holy of holies. Verse 25, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. Right? So this, like, he's showing the, the better sacrifice that, God, that Christ prepared in the giving of his life. He does not have to do this repeatedly as the priest did. The priest had to do it repeatedly. Do we know why the priests were repeatedly having to go in and do this? Because, yes, because it was never meant to take away the sins. It was meant to point to the one who does take away the sins. Right? Like, like this is why it was a continual thing. Right? Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year, not with his own blood. For then he would have to, he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sins, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Verse 1 of chapter 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Right? Like if it's, un, if it's unclear, and I don't, and, and I don't know if, if they thought or if they considered about these things prior to the work of Christ coming about, I don't know if they pondered why is it that we have to do these things continually every year or if they just said, well, God said do it and we're just doing it. I don't know if they ever put any thought behind why God would, would 
would call them to do this thing repeatedly every year like this. I don't know if they reflected. Maybe some did. I'm sure some did. Reflected on this pointing forward towards this second, this this new covenant that would come where God would start doing these works of writing things on their heart. But I know what I know what happened is they thought is is that they started to see that as the end all be all, right? That those works, that those laws, those efforts that they were putting in were the thing and not a pointer to the one who was, right? So let's 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 reflect on that a little bit. Verse two here. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, right? So like when we reflect on what was taking place, right, had those offerings, those those sacrifices been sufficient, then the one reflecting on it would say, well, had they been, we wouldn't have to keep doing it, right? Like it would have done the work that it was intended for. But yet we have to do it time after time, year after year, because it's not the thing that makes us clean. It reminds us that we're unclean and causes us to question and wonder and consider what it is that God might be doing that will ultimately make us clean, right? So it wouldn't have been offered... Um, time and time again, um, verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I, I want to read that again, right? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I, then I said, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. When He said, Above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, these offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Right? So we stand in the work of Christ, this covenant that we find ourselves in, this this agreement that God has placed out there. He's made the He's made the uh, the points of this agreement. We hold to it in faith. Uh, we trust and believe that God is uh, capable and that He will complete this work that He's done in us, and that it's by the work of Christ sacrificed once for us all. Uh, that we stand, and now we uh, have a better covenant being mediated by a better high priest who does not need to sacrifice time and time again because the sacrifice that he sacrificed for us was sufficient and complete. Um, we'll close with we'll close with that next week. We'll be um, starting the new major section where we start spending significant amount of time considering Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ. Um, So I'm excited about that one. That one should be fun.